Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. It's questions day, Kieran, and I have to say, our questions as ever are interesting, but I would make a note, people, and you're listening to this, perhaps a pen and paper, because all of the questions have clauses, and one or two of them have sub-clauses. <laughs> <laughs> I've, t- I've tried. I've tried to trim them down a little bit, but they're such interesting questions. They they are well, one's a proper essay, but we'll get to that. But we have a couple of news stories, uh, Kieran, before we get into those questions. Um, and on Friday we had uh, it, it, it wasn't a budget as such. It wasn't a mini budget as such because the Chancellor wasn't obliged to show his workings, so to speak. But uh, it's it's. It's been controversial. I think many people would say it was a budget for the wealthy, Kieran. And as as Premier League footballers are very much amongst the wealthy, I'm guessing that they, they're quite happy with some of the things that have been suggested by our Chancellor. Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, and uh, as you know, I, I, I'm party political neutral, but uh, it, it was some interesting stuff. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, for example, if, if we take the top 10 uh earning footballers. Cristiano Ronaldo, as a result of the changes in Friday's budget or non-budget, whatever you want to call it, he will now pay, um, on in respect of his Manchester United salary, £1.3 million less in tax than he did before. Um, so that's that, that's a lot of money. And we say, well, yeah, I'm, yeah my background's in, in economics. So, well, you, you could have done that. Or alternatively, you could have given... 13,000 people, an extra £100. So th- those are the choices that mm. the Chancellor had, and he decided, no, I'm going to give this. Now, is that going to be economically beneficial for the country? Well, th- th- this, is the way that, this is the way that tax breaks work. If you give a poor person extra money, they're going to spend it, mm. right? Because they don't have much choice. So they're going to go out and, you know, lots of people this winter, we know that the choices of, you know, are, the, the, I, know I appreciate it's a bit of a cliche, the choice is, do I heat or do I eat? Mm. Uh, a bit of extra money, you, you can do a little bit of both. So if you give a poor person an extra £100, they will spend that extra £100. If you give a person who is on a high salary an extra £100, they'll save it. So therefore, it doesn't boost the economy. So so this, this sort of, this proposal uh, and, and we're sort of yeah you know, I'm, I'm trying to couch this in uh, in footballing terms it just seems very strange because there's the, the the economy needs boosting and the best way to boost it is 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 from the bottom up because people at the bottom spend money so you, you know you've you've met my son now people you know I'm, I'm not giving a sob theory here my son's 29 years old he's got Asperger's syndrome he's unemployed mm. he's also got Nine grade A's, A stars at GCSE. So he's he's not got learning difficulties, but he's got he's got you know broader issues to deal with. He's one, um, he's one of the brightest people I've ever spoken to, Kieran. I have to say. Well, he's he's, he's a lot brighter than I am. Yeah, he's well, yeah. and he, he's he's very naive, so he's very trusting, uh, and he and he goes along and he gets short term jobs and he doesn't get paid. So he, he did. He's just done a job working uh, working as a litter picker. Okay, yeah, nine nine grade A's at 
at GCSE, but he's Asperger's, so therefore people can exploit him. So he got a job as a litter picker for a festival. And at the end of it, this was in Grimsby, the, the promoter comes up to him and says, oh, we, we didn't sell as many tickets as I anticipated. Sorry, lads, I can't pay you. Yeah. So then he has to get home from Grimsby to Manchester with no money. Yeah. Um, uh, so if you give him an extra £100, he will he will feed himself. You know, as, you know, you know, I'm his dad. I'll make sure that his, his rent gets paid and so on. But uh, and, and by the way, if there's anybody in Manchester that wants to employ somebody who is bright but doesn't doesn't necessarily uh, express himself in, in a conventional way, just just drop me a line, Kieran at priceoffootball.com, or drop me a line on Twitter. Um, I've I've got somebody who's you know you've met him. Say he's a bright lad. He's he's very very committed to helping the homeless, and he's mm. he, he, uh, he he designed this database for all of the charities in uh, Manchester that do all different things in respect to the homeless, put it all together, linked it all together, and gave it to somebody else who said, thanks very much, I was going to pay you, but I'm not going to. So, you know, his sob stories and and hard luck stories are are about, but I'm I'm not here to do that. Um, It just seems a a very, very strange budget because Premier League footballers, and and I've always defended the right of a Premier League footballer to earn as much money as they can. It's a market after all. They... Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't need an extra £1.3 million. Pounds. It's as simple as that. Whereas people at the bottom, you think about the, you know, and again, Manchester United, and, and I, I will I will give them lots of praise here. They've committed themselves to the real living wage in Manchester. I think it's a fantastic thing for the club to do. Um, if, you, if you can give the people that are working on a match-by-match basis an extra £100 pounds each, they go out and spend it and it boosts the economy. So I don't know what quasi cartels like doing, and and I, you know, I'm not a political person, but I just I just scratch my head as an you know, somebody with a background in finance and econ- economics and so on. Well, the theory is, Kieran, I believe that you know that that extra 1.3 million pound that Cristiano Ronaldo now has will eventually trickle down to the likes of your son. It will take uh, mm. some time for that to happen. But that's the thing, and the thing is, we're we're not blaming Cristiano Ronaldo here. I'm I'm no, I'm, no, I'm, no, like, no. I'm like you. He's he's it's not his his problem, and he won't probably notice that he's one point three million pound. But but just limiting ourselves to the world of football, there will be many professional footballers in League One, League Two, and the National League who are who are struggling equally as well. Mm, yeah, yeah. Who will have yeah. decisions to make about. Uh, heating and eating. This is maybe maybe not so much there, but they're, they're not earning fortunes. And we've already seen that several clubs have applied for, as we discussed last week, have applied for early kickoffs because they don't think they can afford energy bills. So, yeah, it's it's a slightly odd one. But like you say, Kieran, we're not political. Um, I think you've made your point very well. But uh, you mentioned Manchester United, um, mm. and there's, it's been. Um, ah, an interesting record-breaking week for them, Kieran, at both ends of the scale. Uh, yes, yeah, in, in a variety of ways. First of all, their, their 2022 accounts came out 1,676 pages. Wow. Yeah. How happy were you? How far in How far in have you got? Oh, I've, I've, done, I've done the full. I, I was, I was, I was, I was, wee, I was wee willy winky on on Friday night. Yeah, I was. Uh, you, you can just you can just imagine the uh, the Baroness going. Mm, okay. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, there was she, she was she was mainlining prosecco by about eleven o'clock. I'm going, oh, you've never seen this. <laughs> so yes, you're absolutely right. Um, there, there were some records. Um, it Manchester United uh, have the 
highest wage bill in the history of the Premier League. Their their average wages are now one hundred and seventy eight thousand pounds a week, um, and that, that that is a lot of money. And uh, remember that the Premier League footballers' wage packets are, are highly incentivized. Yeah, Manchester United came six in the Premier League and didn't win any cups. So c- can you imagine what it would have been had they actually won something? Yeah, so it is it, it is a lot of money. It, I anticipate that they might be that uh, they might be leapfrogged by by Liverpool and or Manchester City, uh, both of, both of whom had pretty successful seasons. Um, but um, they also made uh, their highest ever losses. Yeah, they lost one hundred and fifty million pounds before tax. That's the third highest in in the history of the Premier League. Sorry, Kieran, through- Man United lost one hundred and fifty million pounds. Hundred. Yeah, this is Manchester United. Manchester yeah, this United is, this, lost this 100. This is the biggest well, brand in, well, I, I think it's probably the biggest brand in world football. I appreciate fans of Real Madrid, Barcelona might disagree. Um, but they lost 150 million quid. And, and this is in a non-COVID year. Now, there, there, there were some there, there were some excuses, should we say. They borrowed a lot of money. The pounds tanked against the dollar. It's continuing to tank against the dollar. So, so that's not helping. Uh, Finley's had enough now. Um, <laughs> well, he's a Man United they, fan, isn't he? So. Yes, yes. Um, and you know, we talk about football clubs sometimes having tin ears. Mm. If you've just lost one hundred and fifty million pounds, does it look good? Does it pass the smell test? If you then decide to pay the highest ever dividends in the history of football, mm. 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 yeah. So, <laughs> so. Glazonomics comes to the fore, and, and Manchester United paid thirty-four million pounds in dividends. Um, a sizable proportion of that went to the Glazer family. Yes, some went to the other shareholders. So it it just it looks bad. Their debts are now their their football net debts, as we refer to it, is now the second highest in in the history of Manchester United. It's doubled since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. As as a case study, you know, I'm, I'm I'm teaching a football finance module coming up fairly soon, and, and Manchester United just just give me everything that that I need. Yeah, you know, I, I don't have to work hard myself. They are they are a perfect case study in a very unusual way in in which to to run a a football club, which yeah you know is arguably the, the biggest in the planet. It's it's interesting, Kieran, because we've been talking a lot recently about Real Madrid and Barcelona making huge losses but carrying it on in their merry way signing players. And yet here we are under our noses, Manchester United, as you say, as big if not bigger than those clubs, making these huge losses without barely a ripple on the back pages of the of the newspapers. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the reason why they, they're doing it, they're, they're doing it on credit. Yeah, they, uh. they borrowed from the banks and the other thing that they're doing is that they can legitimately say, look at all the money that we've spent over the course of this summer. It's all on credit. So, you know, that they, they owe over £180 million in unpaid transfer fees to other clubs. And that's before they went on the summer spending spree. So uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's amazing stuff. And we talk about football living in a bubble and and this is an example oblivious to 
we've just come out of COVID, so therefore you think you'd rein things in a bit. Um, the the Glazers have come in for some criticism, a lot of which is justified with regards to their involvement in Project Picture, probably big, big picture to try to uh, to try to take over the domestic game, the Super League, and so on. You would think, right, okay, we we don't want to make ourselves look too bad here, too greedy. No, we pay record dividends. So it, it's it, it's it's just a very strange way to to run uh, a club which you know is is close to the hearts of so many people so so there is the option not to pay dividends so this is this is not an automatic thing that this this amount of money has been made we get this amount of dividend they they could say we're not paying dividends this year could they or or lower dividends yeah, yeah no uh, the you know dividends are normally agreed by shareholders so the glazers have 96% of the votes so therefore, they could quite happily say to the directors of the club, um, given the circumstances, given the economic crisis uh, that the world has been through as a result of COVID, we think that we can you know, go a year without a dividend. Mm. Um, and I think that would send a different signal out to the fan base. But you, you, you only have to go onto social media and, and type in hashtag Glazers out and, and something you know, something comes up which will occupy you for for a, a few hours of of fairly angry Manchester United fans. Mm. Um, so yes, uh, you know, interest on loans has to be paid. Dividends are optional. You know, dividends are normally paid out of profits. If you've lost one hundred and fifty million pounds, paying yourself a record level of dividends just doesn't look too clever. Mm. A, a long way south of Man United, both financially and in league position, we come to Southend United. Um, and there's some interesting developments there this week, sort of industrial action almost as well, Kieran, isn't there? Yes. Um, Southend United have had a fairly checkered history uh, in, in the last few years. There's been quite a few winding up orders from HMRC and the the owner, Ron Martin, he sort of... I wouldn't say he's playing the game, but he he, he likes a bit of brinkmanship with HMRC. Mm. And normally at the last minute, uh, just when they're about to go and formally go through a winding up procedure, he, he pops along with a check and uh, you know, any outstanding uh, taxes are, are paid. But there's other people that have been unpaid as well, and, and that's the employees. And, and th- this is something you know, I, I, I do not believe. You know, Somebody that comes from an insolvency background, somebody that's had to deal with people who've been through some fairly distressing uh, activities of, of company owners, um, I, I, I think it's fairly reprehensible that uh, people are going unpaid uh, if, if they've got contracted employment. Now, uh, the club has said yeah, there's a short-term cash flow problem. Some staff have agreed to a wages deferral, but reading the the South End Echo and there's a really good uh, it's a really good local journalist there, I think called Chris Phillips. You know, he's he's been trying to keep an eye on this. You know, some people are saying, well, you know, it's it's been six months. You know, ev- every month it's you know it's two or three days late. It's a week late. Well, yeah. if you've got direct debits, if you've got standing orders, if you've got financial commitments yourself. That's that's not simply not good enough, um, and, and I think what has happened, uh, and I, you know, I've, I did see the story, and I've tried to find it again today, but I, I couldn't. Uh, I, I think that some people only got sixty five percent of their wages uh, last month, something like that. So, so what some people have said, right? We're only going to do sixty five percent of our job, <laughs> and and therefore, uh, <laughs> sort of, yeah, the social media account, we're only going to do, we're only going to report on the match. 65% of, of through the 90 minutes and things like this. Um, and, you, you know, I, I think it is a 
I'm a great believer in sort of the the Gandhi approach to protest, nonviolent direct action, yeah. and um, so 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 credit to them. Uh, you know, they many of them will be South End United fans. Many of them will love the club, but you you cannot work for an organisation on that on on you know a series of broken promises and late late wage payments. So. Um, you know, I hope that things get sorted. I, I know Ron Martin has has plans for Southend United. He he wants to to move the you know, move the, the club to an out out of town stadium and, and develop uh, where where they do play it at Roots Hall. You, know, you and I we're both away fans. I've I've, I've been to Roots Hall, yeah. uh, you know, to to watch my lot. You know, typical. You know, I went from Manchester Tuesday night to to Southend. We lost. Drove all the way home. Got home at you know half past three in the morning. That but. I've been there, and it was a cracking atmosphere. It's a proper, proper, uh, proper lower league ground, you know. And uh, it's it it will be it will be sad, but you know, I'm I'm not opposed to change if if the facilities improve for the fans. But you know, th- things things are not moving as they should. I, I very well remember uh, an evening game. So we were sitting near the beach about two o'clock in the afternoon, preparing ourselves for the evening game. We were joined by a couple of South End fans. And one of them said, yeah, it's called Roots All, should be called Fuck All. <laughs> that's the sort of fan I like. Uh, I, that's a, I mean, that's a, like you said, that's a very good way of demonstrating, isn't it? So if, if our listeners wonder why we stop halfway through the pod, you'll realise that <laughs> producer guy's been up to his usual tricks. Um, our final news story as well, been an interesting statement come out of Preston North End. Yes, um, yeah, we we spoke uh, uh, when uh, when Trevor Hemmings, the yep. owner, and and, uh, you know, and and I know you're a fan of, of horse racing. He yep. was a, he was a big benefactor to the horse racing industry. Well, he he passed away, um, but his family loved Preston North End. His his son Craig has said, yeah, I, yeah, my dad brought me along. I've been watching him for fifty years. I am a Preston North End fan." Um, but they there's. Yeah, so social media um, has has some pluses. It also has some pretty significant minuses. You know, the the cloak of anonymity that it brings allows people to to bitch and snipe and so on. So I, I think he he just had enough. So he put out a very long statement on the on the club website, um, yeah, and and he pointed out that uh, you know his dad was very generous. Since his dad passed away, um, they've they've effectively set a budget where they they anticipate a shortfall, i.e., a loss, which they're prepared to subsidise of twelve million pounds a year. That's 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 a million pounds a month. That's two hundred and fifty grand a week. Mm. And yet, for some fans, it's get somebody rich in. Well, do you know they they nearly did get somebody rich in. Uh, that guy was called Chris Kirchner. <laughs> and remember, yep. in I think it was March, Chris Kirchner was going to buy Preston North End. Uh, football club, um, and I know this guy uh, isn't the favourite with with some football fans. Uh, Peter Ridsdale effectively said, "No, you you, you fail the smell test. There is something not quite right in uh, in Ridsdale's assessment of Chris Kirchner." And frankly, that club dodged a bullet. Uh, yeah, we, we saw the the the, the aggravation that uh, Chris Kirchner caused and he, you know, he with with Derby County and he raised the hopes of the fans and he and he and he strung everybody along and then he disappeared and it turns out that oh okay, he's not paying the wages of his own staff for his sync.io organization and uh, he's 
Google, Google his name and, and see what he's up to. Um, so, uh, you know, Preston North End is a club with one of the smaller budgets in the championship. Uh, last season, uh, for every £100 of income, it paid £196 in wages. Wow. And that, that shortfall was made up by the Hemmings family. So you, you might you might not like the fact that they are not billionaires putting billions into your club, but take them away and then see what you've got. So yeah, you know, I just you know, I'm not again I'm not defending rich people or poor people. I'm, I try to be neutral on these. Uh, the Hemmings family have been generous benefactors to Preston North End, and uh, sometimes you know, you're far better sticking with uh, with what you've got uh, and. Yeah, if 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 somebody was put, if somebody was giving me a, a quarter of a million pounds a week subsidy, I I probably wouldn't be giving them too much stick. Mm. Uh, just for our listeners, Kieran, who probably associate the name Peter Ridsdale more with Leeds United than Preston, can you just remind us what his role is at Preston North End? Yeah, yeah, he he is he is now a director. Uh, he he was at Leeds United. He was associated with the. Financial struggles at Leeds United. Say, some Leeds United fans said he he went on a, an overspending spree. Um, you've only got to uh, Google the words Peter Ridsdale and Seth Johnson to get a, a very interesting tale. Uh, Peter Ridsdale says that that never took place. Um, yeah, there, there, there seems to be sort of there's, there's always this two two sides to every story. Uh, he then went to work at Cardiff. He was then banned from being a director of any company in the UK. So he he, came, he was still working within football without being a director. But when his period of ban ended, I believe he is now back as a director of Preston North End. Um, the Hemmings family like him. You know, he, he certainly has got experience. Uh, he is also controversial. Yeah. And once you've Googled uh, Peter Ridsdale and Seth Johnson, Google Peter Ridsdale and Goldfish. Uh, <laughs> yes. Which, and uh, if there are two sides to every story, unfortunately, we'll never get the Goldfish's version. <laughs> uh, nevertheless. So on to questions, Kieran. And as I said, uh, you will have to pay attention to a lot of them, but it's worth it because they are very interesting questions. Uh, the first one is topical and pertinent, and it comes from Guy Widdowson. And Guy says, this is a question from someone who's been living down under in Auckland for the last three years and has been missing football so much, he's moving the family back to Kent just so he can start going to live games again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And in brackets, which is only a slightly exaggerated tale, uh, which may mean that he's he's coming home on his own and the family is staying there. Who knows? Uh, But Guy says, with the depressing and catastrophic war going on in Ukraine, I was wondering what the football teams are doing there, uh, which I know is nothing compared to the actual war and suffering that is happening. But are the clubs like Dynamo and Shakhtar still paying the players and staff wages? Or in such extreme circumstances, does everything essentially stop until they're able to play again, perhaps in a neutral country? Um, I think some football has restarted in the west of Ukraine, away from the, the front, and certainly... Uh, Shakhtar are playing Champions League games in Poland, aren't they, Kieran? So there is a, it's not a return to normality, but there is some football happening in uh, Ukraine, at least. Yes, I mean, football was suspended following the uh, following Putin's war. Um, but the, the uh, you know, fo- football is a force for good. You know, we, we, this show perhaps 
perhaps, perhaps it does get us too disillusioned at times because there are too many bad news stories on it. But it, it, football is a force for good. It's a force for togetherness. And um, you're absolutely right. The, the season, the domestic season, has started in Ukraine. Uh, it started on the 23rd of August. Uh, clubs have played four matches. Um, but because of the um, yeah, indiscriminate and sometimes quite malevolent targeting of public sites by, by Putin's mob, um, the, the matches are taking place in empty stadiums. Um, there are uh, air raid sirens uh, which which are at the ground. So if, if, they, if there's a sign of um, you know potential uh, missiles coming across, then then the matches would be suspended. Um, there has been talk about the the domestic games taking place in in uh, in, in neutral venues, as uh, uh, as, as Guy suggested in, uh, in I think Turkey and Poland. But um, the, the the Turkish players want to play. So sorry, the the the, uh, the Ukrainian players they want to play in Ukraine. You know they are a very proud nation. Some of them have gone off to to fight uh, to defend their nation. Um, but the, the players who, who are remaining, they, they want to play. And uh, the clubs which are playing in Europe have been given uh, permission by, by UEFA to, to play their matches on, on neutral territories. So, um, you know, it's, it's some, you know, one of the great things that, that you know, when war ends is a great sign of normality is, is football matches taking place. And uh, you know, with uh, uh, I'm, I say we've we've already established we ain't we political. Um, I'm, I'm Team Ukraine. Yeah, you know, I'm. I'm. I'm and I don't. Yeah, you know, I don't think that's a political thing. Uh, we, we want them to be able to defend their 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 sovereign their sovereign statehood. Um, and you know, in due course, you know, kick out Putin and be able to return to matches. But in terms of Paying the players, there, there doesn't. There, there's been nothing reported as such. I, I don't think that's ever been uh, a sort of priority. I think the players, or as much as anything else, playing for pride. Uh, I, I know that some of the overseas players. Um, I, th- I think what UEFA said effectively: your, um, your 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 contracts are suspended. You can go and find employment elsewhere. And I know that that Brighton's new manager. I think he he was involved mm. with the Ukrainian team as well, and, and that's why he was he was effectively out of a job when when he came to us uh, last week. I, I know producer guy strives unsuccessfully at times, Kieran, for us to maintain political balance. But I don't think even he would worry about the fact that we declare ourselves openly to be on the side of Ukraine. Yeah, uh, this circumstance. Is there any financial help from UEFA to those clubs that can't play football? Um. There, there will be what's referred to as solidarity payments, okay. but they are not significant. Uh, solidarity payments uh, go to some of the clubs which have played in Europe over the course of the last five to ten years, um, but the, the majority of the clubs in, in Ukraine will not be giving any financial assistance. Um, you know, and, and I know we again we've sort of discussed this this matter before. What what's happened to the uh, Two point five billion pounds uh, that uh, came from the sale of Chelsea Football Club. Um, you know, if if that can go to help, yeah. And there are more important issues than football. But if some of that can go to help grassroots football, you know, kids playing football in Ukraine, that that would be, uh, I think, a fantastic representation that that football can be a force for good. And uh, although there are very wealthy people around, you know, helping out those in a significantly less fortunate circumstances to ourselves would be beneficial. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Neil Holroyd, 
Uh, Neil says, are Premier League clubs under strict instructions from TV companies, specifically overseas, that kickoff times for games are adhered to so that adverts can be run during half-time or post-match? I've noticed that Premier League games seem to kick off on the dot of the scheduled times, whereas EFL might be one, two or three minutes after three o'clock on a Saturday. Yeah, my understanding is that uh, when it comes to the Premier League, uh, because there are adverts taking place up to kickoff, yeah, and, and we are talking very close to kickoff. Yeah. Um, the Premier League is is very very keen for uh, the fact that yeah, the Premier League is being uh, broadcast in a, in one hundred and ninety eight countries. It's, I think it's something like yeah, North Korea, Cuba. Um, Afghanistan and one other. I think yeah, there's only about four countries in the world. Um, so the the Premier League is is aware of the the expectations and demands of its commercial partners. But the, I think normally the referee, you know, the referees wear headsets. They tend to get a nod from the the producers. Certainly when uh, when Sky and BT and Amazon they have live matches on. Uh, that that tends to come from the the domestic. Uh, broadcast partner and they say you know literally you know, you've got 10 seconds to go and then you kick off at three o'clock on the button when it comes to half time and full time here football takes priority because you know there might have been a few var decisions yeah we, we are now uh we, we are now in a football environment where it is not unusual to have five six or seven minutes of injury time because it's not injury time it's normally var time um, so therefore, there has to be greater flexibility from an advertisement point of view at half time and full time. But uh, running up to the the, the kick off itself, um, the, the the Premier League does its utmost to uh, go kick off at uh, three o'clock on the button or the 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 time of of individual matches um, in, in order to uh, meet the uh, meet, meet the requirements or, or you know to 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 assist its broadcast partners as much as it can. Kieran, you and some of our listeners may be aware of the concept of uh, burying bad news, whereby uh, politicians wait until there's a, a major event going on and then mention something that perhaps they should have done. And it may seem like that's what I'm doing by halfway through the questions, throwing in uh, something of, of a slightly negative nature. But the reason I'm doing it is because I forgot to do so at the start of the show, Kieran. Uh, there's nothing sinister or, or manipulative in my motives. I'm just looking at my notes, and even though I've got about 25 asterisks around it, I forgot to mention it. And it's simply that in one of the answers to a question last week, uh, we we gave some uh, we gave an interpretation of an answer that was, shall we say, disagreed with by most people who knew the real answer. <laughs> yes. And that was we had a question about why uh, Boreham Wood in the FA Cup game against Everton, why the players were wearing. Uh, kit supplied by one manufacturer and the coaches were all wearing kits supplied by New Balance. And it turns out there's quite a simple reason for that, Kieran, isn't it? Yes. Uh, the National League have uh, an agreement with New Balance. I think they originally had one with, I think it was a sports company called Yotta or something like that. Yotta, yeah. Um, and whereby uh, New Balance is the official... Uh, uh, I wouldn't say leisure wear, but it's the official uh, kit supplier to the whole of the National League uh, in in respect of what the managers and coaches wear. And it's quite a lucrative deal. Um, and 
I, I therefore sort of, oh, I did find out, and, and thank you for those people. And, and there are many of them. <laughs> there are many of them, yes, I can assure were. you. Many, <laughs> many contact. of them. <laughs> um, who have been in contact. So, so yeah, and that's great. Yeah, we, we, we get things wrong. We quite happily hold our hands up. Um, and, it, and it then turns out that it, the National League takes this extremely seriously. So um, uh, I, I managed to get hold of the the National League fines book and mm. and fines books are works of art. You know that the, the, the uh, what what you might consider to be petty but, uh, for some things is is taken extremely seriously by by football authorities. Um, and and if you if you're if you're in a football match uh, and it's being part of the BT Sport deal and you don't wear your official New Balance uh, tracksuit top, uh, you're wearing somebody else's. It's a four thousand pound fine, mm. which for a National League club is is, is big potatoes. So um, uh, yeah, so apologies for getting it wrong. Uh, and once again, uh, you know, I'll, I'll wear my hair shirt, my New Balance hair shirt, of course. Um, and uh, thanks for keeping us on our toes. Yes, it's so New Balance supply the kit to anyone who's in the technical area mm. of so it's about eight. But that list of fines, because you shared a couple with me, it's, it's like captain's armband. I mean, it's like not wearing a captain's armband. Two hundred, mm. two hundred quid. Uh, a hundred quid north and south national league and then suddenly it just ramps you up to four thousand quid if you don't wear new balance on a live tv show but fair enough if new balance have paid that money to, to yeah. supply the kit they want money for their thing uh, but i hope that's cleared that up um and perhaps you could stop tweeting now everybody <laughs> uh, i i really love this next question kieran from johnny turpin because it's a very intelligent question but he's only asked a very intelligent question so that in the middle of it, like cracking open a walnut, he can have a go at his own club, essentially. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny Turpin has decided that if he was just to have a go at his own club, we probably wouldn't read it out. But he's, he's, he's worked out successfully that if he, if he wraps it around like a Russian doll, if he wraps it around an intelligent question, here we go. Johnny Turpin says, do you think it's possible for all clubs in the Premier League to be run as break-even or potentially profitable and still be able to complete, uh, compete, I beg your pardon. Clubs like Man United and Liverpool run with the intention of making money, but still attain success in terms of trophies and European places. On the other hand, you have a club like mine, Everton, who got the big money every club dreams of and pissed it up against the wall. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Or Chelsea and Man City are seemingly happy to spend anything to win and take a loss. Is it possible for the Liverpool Man United model to work across all 20 clubs, even if the money is not for shareholders, but just goes back into the... It made me laugh so much when I read that question. Just <laughs> a club like mine who pissed it just... I just like the fact he says every club dreams of and pissed it up against the wall. Thank, sorry, Johnny. Uh, we are taking the question seriously. We just recognise a fellow upset football fan. But it's yes. it's but it's an interesting question about the various financial models in in the Premier League. You know, can a club compete at the highest level and still break even or make or make money? Um, yes, I, I think there's there's a number of issues here. It, I think you just first of all decide define what you mean by compete. So, is it avoid relegation? Um, then I, I think it could be done. All, all 20 clubs could be run in such a way that you could break even or make a small profit. Um, but uh, what we have at present is we have a, a handful of clubs 
who have a substantial financial advantage over the others in terms of, you know, we, we spoke earlier on about Manchester United losing £150 million in 2022. Um, th- there are other clubs that, that have lost substantial sums, including Everton. We'll be coming back to Everton a little bit later, in fact, yeah. um, for another question. But uh, you, you can have a break-even model. And, and here I give you Burnley Football Club, who, uh, when they were in the Premier League, um, broke even every year. Um, there, there were critics uh, of the club, both from within the fan base, saying, well, you're not, you're not ambitious enough. Remember, Burnley got into the Europa League. Mm. That, that's a hell of an achievement, if you ask me. Um, but uh, you know, and they, they now have been, they now have been relegated. So it, it can be done um, if you want to have a more competitive. Premier League, then what you need to do is to address the distribution model, as suggested by the fan-led review led by Tracy Crouch, um, <laughs> which which we'll be covering in in more depth on Wednesday. Because it, you know, talking about a bad day to or good day to to bury bad news, I think uh, the fan-led review has been buried. Um, oh, right. So so yeah, we'll be coming back to that. Uh, so the 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 Liverpool and Manchester United model is is successful. Because those clubs have what I'd refer to as legacy benefits. You know, they have historically been successful. And on the back of that, they have generated global fan bases who are willing to uh, engage with the club through buying merchandise, through paying for membership schemes and so on, which, which does give the club uh, a financial benefit over the others. Um, and if if, if you were to say, well, you're not allowed to lose money, and remember, we do have a, a quasi-break-even uh, model under the existing financial fair play rules or profitability and sustainability rules, then um, it, it, it would make the, the existing gaps in football even wider. And is that what we want? And, and this, this is the ultimate, the, the sort of the... The, the philosophical debate that we have. Do we want a sustainable financial Premier League or do we want a competitive Premier League? And and uh, yeah, when, when I talk to people you know, quite senior in terms of I, I do lots of budgets and I do lots of spreadsheets for people and I keep asking the question, what is it that you want? And nobody will give an answer. Mm. Uh, and the, the, because... The trouble with if somebody has to give give me an answer, it means that some people are going to lose out, and and you know no, nobody in positions of influence or power says, well, actually, I want a model which is going to uh, create a closed shop or reinforce a closed shop, or I'm going to do a model which is going to upset some of the American owners, or you know. So uh, there's there was a really good article in the Guardian. Uh, a few days ago, which I think sort of summed this up, that uh, the the Premier League seems to want the the showbiz element of American sport, which you know, certainly has has some merits, without the egalitarianism in terms of the the distribution of money. Remember, there's been there's been twelve winners of the the Super Bowl in the last fifteen years. Mm. That's not been the case in the Premier League, has it? Yeah. This is an interesting one, Kieran, from Lawrence Wisdom. Uh, it raises a couple of issues that I've has never occurred to me, I have to say. But Lawrence Wisdom says, with the UK and Ireland involved in the bid to host Euro 2028, 
I wanted to understand the commercial incentive for clubs to offer their stadium up to hosting a game. Would the club receive a flat fee from UEFA for use of the ground, or is the fee structured to reflect ticket sales, catering, sponsorship, exposure, etc.? Or would hosting be more of a reputational play for clubs hoping to leverage the increased interest of the Euros as a negotiating tool for their existing or potential sponsorship agreements? Now, one of the reasons I find this very interesting, Kieran, is that you may remember just minutes after the Lionesses won the Euros earlier this year, uh, Ian Wright. very angrily referred to, and he said, I, I won't name them, but they know who they are. Several, he said, high-profile clubs who had refused to allow their grounds to be used in the Euros for whatever reason. So it, it never occurred to me that it wasn't uh, UEFA or FIFA choosing the grounds that would were would host the games. Yeah, I think I think the the point that Ian Wright was was referring to, perhaps a little bit obliquely, was that some clubs had uh, had agreed to uh, rent out their their grounds uh, to to host uh, concerts, and the money they made was greater than that was being right, okay. uh, was being allocated right. um, from UEFA for the for the women's Euros final that took place this summer. So it, it was it was a financial decision. But it did mean that uh, you know, the opportunity to play in, in some of the perhaps more prestigious stadiums around the country um, was was not seized upon. Now, if you are hosting a World Cup or if you are hosting a men's European final, because they generate more money, the the promotional fees that UEFA and FIFA are prepared to pay tend to be higher, and uh, that that would that would be impacting things. Although uh, there, there was a report, I think it was it might have been in the Times or the Mail uh, a few days ago, that um, if England are successful in bidding to host Euro twenty twenty eight with with the home nations and with the Republic of Ireland. Then uh, I think uh, Anfield and Stamford Bridge will both be excluded because the grounds, uh, the, the the pitches themselves, are too small. They they, oh, they don't actually right. conform to, and and that's why um, you won't see um, a, a UEFA, say a, Euro, a, a Europa Cup final at uh, at Anfield, whereas it could take place at some of the other grounds around the country. Um, so so there, there's always uh, there's always a lot of politics involved. Um, as far as the clubs were concerned, you would get normally an agreed fee um, from UEFA up front because with, with no disrespect to these countries involved, let's say that you, you are hosting you know, the men's or the women's European uh, finals and you've got Moldova versus Albania. Yeah. And you might not sell many tickets, but you've still got the – your costs of hosting are fixed so, so there tends to be a, a hosting fee which is agreed well in advance. Um, so I think some clubs will be willing to to put themselves forward and perhaps ask for a, a relatively low fee um, for for hosting individual matches, and they get that from from the FA um, because they they want to put themselves in the shop window. Yeah, they they want people to be aware. So yeah, I think uh, uh, the MK Don Stadium, for example, is is one of the potential uh, grounds where where matches might take place in uh, for Euro twenty twenty eight and so on. Uh, it, it's it's a bit like Eurovision. There is an element of prestige involved. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be profitable. Um, the the FA uh, paid UEFA a lot of money 
to uh, host both the final and the semi-finals of the of the men's 2020 tournament, which remember was was taking place across uh, a variety of mm. cities, uh, a variety of countries in Europe, um, and and sometimes you do that as lost leaders because we what you want to say, well, you know, look 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 at look at look at what a great show that Wembley could put on. You know, we don't want to go and revisit why things went wrong there, uh, but also if, if your country gets to the final, it, it you know it, it is it is an uplifting experience for all concerned. So is there a, a bidding process, Kieran? Say, for example, both Southampton and Brighton wanted to host a, a group that was based on the South Coast. Would would they would they put in separate bids or would UEFA plus the FA say, no, we think Southampton's a slightly bigger stadium or whatever, so that would be the best one? It, it would it would be it would be a beauty parade of which financial considerations would be an element, but not the only element in making that final decision. Do you know what? Sellers Park uh, played host to a couple of games in the 1948 Olympics. And it, really? It, yeah, it really annoys me. Oh, wow. There should be a plaque. Yes. Really. Um, but there isn't. But there's, there's a lot of things that should be a plaque for at Sellers Park. Uh, Phil Smith has a question. Uh, Phil Smith says, can a club nominate the legal entity they wish to submit for FFP monitoring? For example, the Stoke City structure, as I understand it, says Phil, is Stoke Holdings with two daughter companies, Stoke City Football Club and Stoke Property, who hold the training ground and stadium. However, the entity with the EFL share is Stoke City Football Club. So I was quite surprised they managed to do this. Can the club say, we actually want to nominate Stoke Holdings as the entity to be measured for FFP instead of Stoke City Football Club? I, I think here uh, the the EFL is uh, probably one step ahead of some of the clubs. I, I, certainly, I, I understand exactly where where Phil Smith is coming from, and, and for people not familiar with a, a confirmation statement, every company on an annual basis ha- effectively has to send to Companies House um, a list of shareholders if there's been any significant changes in shareholders during the year and so on. So the EFL does that because early in June each year, there'll be two clubs coming up from the National League, uh, replacing two clubs who are dropping out of the EFL, and there will be three clubs swapping places with the Premier League. Um, So there there, there is a change of shareholders. Um, I don't think that clubs can nominate this because otherwise, if I was Stoke City, I would say, well, our ultimate holding company is the Bet365 group. Mm. And they make an awful lot of money. You know, they they could they could buy Neymar, uh, Mbappe, Messi, Renault. They could buy the whole shebang and still make huge profits for an FFP perspective. So, so there are limits. Um, and, and what the EFL do is they say, we want to take a look at those companies which generate the money and, and which have the, the major property assets as well. So, so the, the EFL um, uh, are... Uh, are on on message here in in terms of stopping companies manipulating, uh, and I'm not saying that Stoke City would do this. Manipulating which set of accounts are used to assess for FFP purposes. Uh, we have another FFP question, Kieran. Um, again, it illustrates how eager some of our listeners are to find loopholes. Mm. Uh, it comes from Anthony Hirschstein, and and Anthony Hirschstein says, as a listener since day one, that uh, how nice to hear from you, Anthony. I'm aware that there are certain costs that are exempt from FFP regulations, such as infrastructure, women's team costs, and youth team costs. But my question is, how exactly are youth costs defined, and is there potential to exploit this? 
Yes. I mean, Anthony is probably sent his question in after episode one, and he's been waiting for it to be answered. <laughs> so he'll probably stop listening now. Um, well, but thank you very much, Anthony, for the continued support. Um, in in respect of this, and I, and I think this is this is certainly an area where there is the potential for manipulation. You're absolutely right. Um, youth team costs will be the salaries paid to to youth and academy players. They will be the the academy coaches um, who have got dedicated uh, roles. Now, sometimes you will find somebody is deemed to be. Fifth, you know, oh, this this uh, this coach spent half his time with the academy, half the time with the first team. Under those circumstances, all of that coach's uh, employment cost would be allocated to the first team. Uh, this is to stop clubs from deliberately trying to shift costs away from that part of the club, which is assessed for financial fair play purposes, into the what we might refer to as the virtue spending. Um, which is, you know, as Anthony said, infrastructure, uh, community, uh, women's team, um, academy scheme, and so on. But there, there is still some opportunity because you might have some people nominated for X who end up doing Y. Um, and I was contacted by somebody who is involved uh, in the, the academy setup um, of an EFL club to say that uh, you know, we we nominally say have a budget of sixty thousand pounds for all of these following areas, um, and that's what's submitted to the EFL. We only get ten grand of that, and and the rest of it goes to the first team. So you know, so I, I can't clearly I won't name the club or the circumstances. Things are taking place which shouldn't, and it's 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 the nature of the beast. Mm. Uh, producer guys at home. Thanking you very much for not naming the club. Uh, <laughs> our next two questions, Kieran, are questions you love because it gives you the chance to delve deep into the accounts of uh, an individual club. And the first one comes from Jamie McAllister. Uh, Jamie says, I'm a Coventry City fan, but after moving to Hereford recently, I've had one eye on Hereford FC. Uh, Jamie, I I almost envy you. I would never move out of London, but Hereford would be one of the places I did go to my... Uh, my late father-in-law, God rest his soul, was a minister there for seven years, Methodist minister. I love Hereford. It's a brilliant town. Uh, and also, if there was such a thing as a second team, and there isn't because you're not allowed to have one, mine would be Hereford. <laughs> and if Hereford had relegated Brighton to all those years back, my God, they'd be my second team. But Jamie says, I'm aware of the history and the troubles of Hereford United, but I was wondering how Hereford FC are looking in terms of their accounts. Right. Um what I would say, Jamie, there, there is some good news. If we take a look at the, the most recent accounts uh, in respect of Hereford FC, and you know, it is, it, I, I was at that match um, on the 3rd of May, 1997, which was the, the yeah. slowest 90 minutes of my life. Um, my birthday. Oh, was it? Oh, wow. Well. I didn't get the present I wanted. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> um, and it was, it was relief rather than joy. But that, that relief was tempered because – yeah, there were Hereford fans, Hereford United fans, should I say, who who were in you know great, greatly distressed. Yeah, of course. Um, and uh, you yeah, know, it's uh, 
and and we we wouldn't have had a club had, had we lost and you know they, they lost Hereford United in subsequent years so so there's there's no there's no joy in 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 their struggles since then but in their most recent accounts um which is June 2021 the good news is that they had 300,000 pounds in the bank um they they do appear to have um a, a lot of investors a lot of shareholders who are willing to uh, continue to fund the club, um, and, and they take the approach of of some of the clubs which I really like, such as Lincoln City. In, in Lincoln, are really good at what I'd refer to and as the and I think our both are in this category as as the little and often approach. So uh, last week, for example, um, uh, uh, the investors or the the shareholders of Hereford put another five thousand pounds. Not as a loan, because as we've established, loans have to be repaid, loans of interest. They put another five thousand pounds into the club um, in in the form of shares to to provide some working capital, to provide some liquidity to allow the club to pay the bills. So um, the fact that they had to do that is indicative that things aren't brilliant. But the fact that they've got people who are willing to do that uh, does does I think give a, a degree of solace, uh, Jamie. So you know, g- good luck to everybody at Hereford FC. I don't think, Kieran, that there are many football fans of our generation whose eyes don't mist over slightly at the mention of Hereford United. Just for those, oh, yeah. those wonderful that wonderful game against Newcastle United when yep. thousands of kids all wearing parkers. Yes, <laughs> even, even the ones that kids dropping out of trees next to the ground, <laughs> which had no grass on it when they beat Newcastle United in the first of it. just remarkable. As a mate of mine says from me, remarkable scenes. And Ben Evans is a Sutton United fan. Um, mm. And I don't get jealous here, Kieran, but Ben's been looking at Company's House. I'll just, I'll just point out other people <laughs> other people can look at Company's House, Kieran. You know, other people can, can be impressed by Tracy Crouch. Just, you know, wind your neck in. But um, Ben Evans has been looking at Company's House. And he says that on March the 17th, uh, please God, I hope it's this year. Details were released about a change of ownership of the club back dating to November 2021. Yes, it must be. That's great. Is there anything to be suspicious of or worried about for Sutton fans about this uh, change of ownership? Now, I presume if the details were released on Company's House, they weren't made public elsewhere, Kieran. Would that be a correct assumption? No, there has been some mention of the... Uh, of the ownership interest. This is from an organisation called M Buzzsport LLC, which is Dubai-based. Oh, um, and they have they, they they have had a historic link to to Sutton United. Um, they they have been, I think, there's some sort of sports marketing company as much as anything else, where their aim is to try to um, increase the sort of the digital footprint of the club to get new sponsors and so on. Um, again, looking at the most recent recent uh, documentations which have been submitted to Companies House, somebody put in two hundred and twenty six thousand pounds in July twenty twenty two. Now, again, that can be both for good and bad reasons. It could be that a they needed some money and and they managed to find somebody, or the fact that uh, you know somebody is trying to to accelerate the club along. So. Um, there's there's no evidence that the the change of ownership is is a bad thing at present. It's best to say it's a thing. 
Um, I, I know, uh, and this became perhaps a story we'll cover on Wednesday or Thursday, uh, that uh, some some owners or new owners, and this this in respect of Crusaders in in, in Northern Ireland, uh, uh, are, are not necessarily uh, good people. That uh, well, certainly not my naughty step uh, when it comes to changes of involvement with clubs. You know, I'm quite looking forward to recording Thursday's pod. You've mentioned a couple of really interesting sounding stories. Our last two questions, Kieran, are kind of similar in a way, but one from a positive uh, approach and one from a negative approach. But the first one is Nathan Hopwood. Uh, And Nathan says, as someone that enjoys football video games, one of the appeals is creating a new club with an insane budget, buying up key players and working your way quickly from League Two to the Premier League. Um, and in a couple of months' time, people listening may realise that this is a, a scenario that we will come to discuss further. If I were to be, <laughs> if I, that's a spoiler alert for Christmas presents uh, next year. If I were to be a multi-billionaire with more interest in football than sense, what would be the major barriers to me forming my own club and bankrolling them up the football period pyramid? How long would this take? And are there any rules or regulations that might pose? as major barriers to stop me. So, I mean, it's a, you know, a billionaire takes over essentially a Sunday league team. How far can he get on his billions, Kieran, and how quickly will it take? Well, I mean, the the good news, Nathan, is that as far as non-league football is concerned, there there are zero barriers. Um, you know, you, you can go through things as, as quickly as, as you want. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, if we, if we give the example of Salford City, uh, yep. You know the, the owners there. That, that that club has has lost money on a regular basis, but uh, the you know, the class of ninety two and uh, Peter Lim have been you know, pretty generous benefactors, and it causes resentment amongst other clubs fans. Just as you know, if, if if somebody you know gets some money and and starts splashing the cash, you know, it, it does cause it does cause some bad feeling, and that's that's probably sort of what we're seeing at Wrexham Football Club. Uh, following the, the the takeover there, but there is there is no financial restrictions now. When you get to um, when when you get to leagues two and one, um, I, I'm sure Nathan is familiar with the phrase salary cap management protocol. <laughs> a good 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 opening line if you're uh, yeah, if you're if you're on a if you're on a dinner date. Uh, have you heard about this one, baby? Uh, salary cap management protocol. Um, only for you, Kieran. Only, uh, only for me. This is, this is why I go home alone. Um, you, go, um, you, go, you go home to the Baroness, Kieran. That's why you go home alone. That's, right, that's, that's yes. the important thing to keep hold of. Thank you. Yes. Um, and, and, the, and the salary cap management protocol uh, is what we sometimes refer to as a soft wage cap. So in League Two, you're only allowed to spend 50% of your revenue. And in League One, it's 60%. But then we uh, then we come to something called football fortune, and football fortune says for every one pound you put into the club as an owner in the form of shares and, and not loans, you can spend one pound on wages. So if you if you are a billionaire, if you want to go and put an extra ten million pounds into the club, you can spend an extra ten million pounds in wages. Now in League Two and League One, that will give you. Rocket boosters you know, that will allow you to to whiz through those two divisions. So uh, I think you can, if, if you are a billionaire, Nathan. I think we can get you to the championship pretty quickly. Myself and Kevin are more than happy to act as advisors. Of course, <laughs> um, well, when it gets to the championship, bit more of a challenge because we do have uh, 
profitability and sustainability rules kicking in, which limits your losses to to thirty nine million pounds uh, over a three year period. Um, yeah, we've probably seen that. You know, what we, we, you can certainly pick this up from the nature of the questions that we get asked on a regular basis. Um, there are there are elements of those rules which are softer than others, and uh, you know the the EFL has a tough job. It's constantly playing whack a mole. It's it's recently, for example, uh, you know, ab- abolished the use of transferring stadiums to yourself to to boost profits and so on. But there's there's always there's always an accountant or a lawyer or. or, or uh, you know, somebody who's who's thought outside the box of coming around the rules. So, uh, I, I think we can certainly get you to the championship with relative ease. Then it becomes more challenging, but but not impossible. Uh, if there are any multi-billionaires listening, and if Nathan Hopwood is in fact asking for himself as a multi-billionaire, I would suggest you take Kieran's advice before you take mine. <laughs> um, but sorry, this this concept of football fortune, Kieran. What is does that is that actually something that exists? What is football fortune? Yeah, yeah. F- football fortune. If if you go to the EFL handbook, uh, it, football fortune is defined as um, money generated from player sales, money generated from cup runs, and equity investment by owners. And a hundred percent of that can go effectively against your wage budget. So. Have a good cup run, sell a player, or just have a rich person come in, and and that does give does allow you to uh, effectively boost your wage budget. Well, our final question comes from Chris Payne, and it's a uh, it's it's a question I like. I like the sound of <laughs> I like the sound of Chris. Uh, Chris is is working on metaphysical metaphorical levels. Uh, Chris says, "I have a question which is prompted from an article." about how long it would take for the Earth to show no signs that humans ever existed if humanity ended, brackets, answer, not as long as you'd think, exclamation mark. That's a cheery thought for the first thing on Monday morning. Mm. If if all owners in the Premier League stopped putting in finances tomorrow, what order would the clubs go bust in? I presume Chelsea first, followed by Man City, but who would last the longest? Right. Um, so uh, I, I, can, I can now go into Alan Fluff Freeman mode. Um, I've, I've worked out <laughs> look the figures look, for... Look him, up, look him up, everybody. Look him up. <laughs> yes. We, we are actually, so down with the kids. Uh, he's, one of the, he's actually one of the 70s BBC DJs you can look up without any worries. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I thought, well, I'll look at this since the inception of the Premier League, but the Premier League has evolved. So... Um, if we take a look at the accounts of Premier League clubs over the last five years, who has made the biggest losses? And then we'll take a look at who could survive the longest. In fifth place, Brighton and Hove Albion, the fifth, fifth biggest losses. Palace was sixth, by the way. Oh, wow. Um, fourth, Fulham. What? And you think about, you know, Fulham. Third, Aston Villa. Oh. Second, Chelsea, oh, but the biggest loss makers over the course of the last five years, and Everton Football Club, which ties in with oh. one of our earlier uh, callers, uh, earlier question answer, uh, yeah, yeah, who who was talking about pissing pissing money against the wall. So Everton, um, yeah, they they would they would go the quickest. Wow. Um, in terms of the longest survivors, and some of these clubs have been relegated. Fifth was Huddersfield. 
Fourth would be Newcastle. And yeah, we, we've had this discussion before that uh, Mike Ashley, not a popular man uh, in, in the Northeast as far as Newcastle fans are concerned, but he did run a sustainable football club. So Newcastle would survive the fourth longest. Third would be Burnley. Um, second would be Liverpool. And the club that would last the longest, the club which is the most sustainable, is Spurs. Really? Yeah. Oh, why? Why is that? Um, Spurs Spurs have been spending at, at some years £39 on wages for every £100 of income. They run a really tight ship. And what they've done with the move to the new stadium, um, it's geared to making money 365 days a year. I, I was talking to some people um, last week in, who I met down in London. said, what, what are you doing? So are we doing the, we're doing the Spurs walk, you know, across the – across the, the the pitch you know using that sort of that strange walkway which would put the the screaming ebgbs into me but it's 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 a way of generating as much money from as many people as often as you can uh you know the fact that they've got the, the concourses which are big enough which encourage people to stay longer they've got these uh, these drinks providers where where you can you can pull a pint 10 seconds quicker than from a normal and everything is geared towards maximising cash return. Now, Kieran, before we finish, would you just repeat that Spurs uh, wages to income figure and compare it to the Preston one you mentioned earlier? Yeah, Spurs, Spurs in their best years, and 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 th- it has gone up a wee bit since then. Um, Thirty nine pounds in wages for every one hundred pounds of income, and. Um, Preston North End, who who are a club who you know, people would normally think oh, they they don't live beyond their means, one hundred and ninety six pounds in wages at, uh, in, for the most recent season, for which we got results for every one hundred pounds of income. You cannot run a business and break even in such an environment. And that's why the championship is a basket case. Uh, yes. I'm glad you mentioned Spurs Walk, Kieran, because I've been I've been worrying how to crowbar this in. Because yeah, we normally end with a, a little message about our Patreon page, but just for once, I'm going to end with a little message about some money that you can perhaps give me. Because uh, if you've been following our social media, you'll know that Kieran is one of the many people who kindly donated uh, uh, to the Palace Foundation. I I did a 26 mile walk yesterday, along with 150 other Palace fans, to raise money for uh, the Crystal Palace Foundation to help make life easier for some of the young people in South London. And I walked with my very good friends uh, from Five Year Plan, the Palace fans in, and I'm not feeling too bad, apart from the fact that my little toe and my right foot looks like someone has taken a hammer to a plum. Um, but if any of you would like, particularly you exiled Palace fans are listening to this, if you'd like to make a small donation, £1, £5, £10 would be would be lovely then just giving FYP Marathon March 2022 is the place to go. Um, uh, and that would make up for the agony. I just can't tell you, people, if you're thinking about putting a pound or a five pound in, oh, my little toe, oh, my God. Uh, but Kieran was one of many fans of other clubs who donated, including many Brighton fans, which, again, we talked earlier, Kieran, about the power of football, and it's it's so encouraging that fans of other clubs and that Brighton fans can put their rivalry aside to raise money for our foundation as Palace fans would do for you. So thank you to everyone who's already uh, 
donated money for the FYP on the Marathon March. And thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, then please go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And if you have a question you'd like answering the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, and before this very exciting pod that's coming up on Thursday, I will hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Yeah, I'd just like to echo, you know, uh, what, what the Palace Foundation do is absolutely fantastic. And, uh, yeah, Franny Brighton fans, as we've always said, you can't have a rivalry without rivals. That's so um, if you want to support the, the show, Patreon's one method. Uh, another method is to get onto your app, which you're using, uh, to download the podcast and even give us a review. You can give us five stars. It helps us in the charts. Uh, it, it does make a difference uh, in terms of algorithms, in terms of uh, people who we're trying to get on as guests, and they sometimes read the reviews and they go, well, we're not quite sure what's going on. Why Why have they said, why, why has somebody suggested that the show would be better presented by Quasi Karteng and <laughs> Pastor Mick? Now, for those of you that not know Pastor Mick, Pastor Mick is a former heroin addict who who found uh who found his salvation in in uh uh in religion and he formed the the church on the street uh in burnley and uh you know, I've, I've seen some of the work of pastor mick and, and he goes and he deals with the people who i personally think would be better off with a hundred pounds each yeah yeah the, the world needs more people like the second person in your suggestions than maybe the first, Kieran. Uh, also, you've made me feel really bad now about suggesting that I was upset that Hereford didn't beat Brighton. Your, your lovely words about you can't have a, a rivalry without rivals. I, I just feel really, I feel really bad now, Kieran. No, I, I wanted Brighton to be relegated out of the league. I'm quite a good actor, aren't I, really, sometimes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> the price of football. I'm for the